You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Sports Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson. Lots to talk about today and a very special guest in 14 minutes, Wade Boggs, the Hall of Famer, the uh, former Tampa Bay Ray. He played with them when they actually called him the Devil Rays, if you can believe that. But anyway, he'll be along here in just a few minutes. And, of course, he played with the Red Sox and the Yankees as well. And Lars remembers him finally for riding a horse around Yankee Stadium. But, anyway, uh, that being said, you've got him on the show, the schedules are out, and then the U.S. Open. And I am, unfortunately, going to start, Lars, with a really big whine. Okay, Why what's can't that? they put the U.S. Open on something other than a streaming service? <laughs> Good I have question. To do something with Peacock? Huh? What's that? Uh, yeah, I'd have to dig into that one. I'm no, not sure. I'm not going to go deep. I just wanted to get that off my chest so I would feel refreshed and positive for the remainder of the show. So we will talk about the U.S. Open because it is ongoing, but we got to start with the schedules, Lars. And, you know, everybody, and myself included, was anxious to see this just, you know, because it's the schedule, it's the SEC, it's our conference. But I think everybody was anxious to see, oh, how are we going to get screwed? In my opinion, Lars, nobody did. Yeah, uh, this was not an easy task. Um, You know, you got to assess the 14 current teams based on their league record since the last expansion in 2012. And then also you have to assess uh, Oklahoma and Texas and their record in the Big 12 over that time. And uh, so it's it's difficult to please everybody, uh, but if you've made everybody a little bit angry, you've probably done your job. Um, so Alabama, so what what would Alabama fans be upset about? I guess uh, the beginning is that uh, Alabama is one of three teams uh, that will get uh, both teams that competed in the 2022 SEC title game on its 2024 schedule. Uh, Ole Miss and Georgia also do that. They're also playing LSU and Georgia. And, uh, you know, LSU and Georgia are uh, two teams that, in terms of winning percentage uh, in the SEC since 2012, they're number two and number three. Uh, And we knew this was coming. This was reported yesterday that Alabama is going to go on the road in uh, 2024 to LSU, on the road uh, to Tennessee, and um, also they're going to be playing Oklahoma. And... um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. What, what was your whole takeaway? I mean, um, they're also going to have, I guess, man, it's hard. It's kind of hard to actually like pull all of this out. But I think the the big takeaway is that, and we knew this yesterday, is that Alabama. It's just, I think, for everybody, it's going to be so much harder with the addition of these two 
powerhouse programs in 2024. And now Alabama, you know, they get Auburn, obviously. Uh, they get they have to go to LSU, Tennessee, a, a rising team. And um, it's just not going to be that easy. And also Georgia, of course. So um, that's a, it's a gauntlet, no question. It's going to be, and we knew this, but now that the schedules are there and we can hold it in our hands, so to speak, yeah, it's going to be, I fear, a rude awakening for Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> you just look at their schedule yeah. and go, you know, going into what the, their schedule the past few years, you check about eight or nine boxes as wins. Now you can't do that. I think one note, um, Arkansas fared very well, I thought. Um, they don't play Alabama or Georgia. Um, and I thought it was neat. We talked about this earlier in the week as well. That the SEC managed to get Oklahoma and Texas versus all the other 14 teams within a span of two years. I thought that was very, very good. But I really, and I've read a lot this morning. I know you have. I really haven't seen anybody jumping up and down screaming foul. Um, man. Wouldn't you like to have just been, not the whole time, but for a little while, uh, been in that little, uh, what would you call it, a war room or whatever, the SEC's putting all this stuff together and see how they did it. And and whether it's home or away or whether it's this Saturday or the next Saturday, I find that kind of stuff very compelling. But uh, once again, it's tip of the hat to Greg Sankey and the SEC staff because I think they hit the bullseye on this one. Yeah. Um, well, for every team, I, I, and that's hard to do. I think Oklahoma is uh, kind of shaking in their uh, cowboy boots right now uh, when they look at the schedule because just in, in year one, their four home conference home games are Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Texas. Although Texas is going to be at a neutral site game, it's really considered a home game. So that's uh, that's that's tough. I mean, those are four potential losses at home, and uh, and especially with Oklahoma sort of uh, in neutral right now as a program, or maybe even a little bit in reverse. Uh, uh, Brett Venerables needs to get the ship righted very quickly this year 2023 to be prepared for the gauntlet uh, that they're going to run through in 2024 in in year one of sec play i mean again those four home games uh are potentially four losses uh given that south carolina is uh, an ascending team south carolina and, and, you know, it's it's funny. Like, I've heard people joke uh, about Oklahoma and Texas coming in. Like, they're, they won't officially be members of the SEC until South Carolina beats them. <laughs> so, um, and, and, that, and that very well may happen in, in year one because of the tremendous job uh, that Shane Beamer is doing at South Carolina. And also be interesting because Shane Beamer was at Oklahoma with Brent Venables for many years. He knows that program. He knows uh, the Brent Venables uh, defense as well as Venables does. So uh, advantage South Carolina uh, in that. So anyway, uh, a, a lot of really interesting 
fun matchups uh, that are coming in 2024. And it's just every week it is going to be, you know, so there are some weeks during the season where you just was a conference play and it's just like, eh, it's kind of a bunch of duds this weekend. That's not going to happen anymore. That's absolutely not going to happen anymore with uh, with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas. And again, hopefully uh, expansion in 2025 to a nine-game conference schedule, which I think is probably going to happen. I think just I 2020, 2024 is just a, a stopgap, uh, a transition year to get Oklahoma and Texas, <coughs> excuse me, up and running in the conference. And then they'll probably set the schedule for the long term, like maybe, you know, six, eight years in 2025. Just a couple of notes. Um, and you're right. It is kind of difficult to piece all this together. Do you know what I really need? I need a newspaper. Doing this yeah. online is just not acceptable. But anyway, I have to, just like I have to accept I've, I've got to find Peacock in order to watch the U.S. Open. I'll give you a, a leaderboard a, update in just a minute. Alabama, for the first time in my memory, doesn't play either of the teams from Mississippi. Um, I found that noteworthy. Uh, I also, and I mentioned this yesterday because I was a big fan of the Southwestern Conference back in the day because my dad, as many of you know, he, uh, he taught at Arkansas when I was just a little kid. But the Arkansas-Texas rivalry is back, and they're going to play it in Austin this year. And, man, I'd like to be right there on the river drinking a cold beer and headed to the stadium to watch that one. That was just a classic game back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s before the Southwestern Conference disbanded. And I look forward to that one as well. Just running through the other ones, anything? I, I think uh, another one of note is um, Oklahoma-Auburn. Doesn't that just have a nice ring to it, Lars? It does. That'll be a fascinating game. And uh, let's see. So for Auburn, their four home games are Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, their road games, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri. I think that's pretty fair. Uh, And again, going back to Alabama, their four home games, Auburn, Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina, and then on the road, LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Vandy. I mean, it's almost like you had to give them Vandy after after pounding Alabama with three road games, very difficult road games, LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee. Um, you know, just there, you could probably say just looking at Alabama's schedule, well, there, there's two sort of easy wins there, right? Missouri and Vandy. But I think every other game is going to be competitive because I think South Carolina, again, I'm, I'm really high on Shane Beamer uh, and, uh, and what he's doing there, the, the recruits he's bringing in, the culture he is creating. I mean, that, that is uh, an exciting, exciting program. And one, again, that is ascending. And I expect them in 2024 to be even better than they are uh, this year, uh, even though they do have Spencer Rattler coming back. And I think Spencer Rattler may end up being the SEC player of the year. Um, but Wow, uh, you really are high on South Carolina I am. tomatoes. Hey, man, Spencer, two years ago, who did you and I both say was the Heisman frontrunner at the beginning of the year? And you know what? I did. You did, but this year you're wrong. (laughs) 
just like we were two years ago. <laughs> Who is it in your mind? Oh gosh, uh, boy, you just threw one high and tight on me. <laughs> well, we'll, we, we'll we'll come back to uh, that. That's later. a great question, though. We ought to get into that. Uh, but right now, we're going to get into our first break. This is Big Noon Sports, brought to you by Haley Sansing of Union Home Mortgage. Back with Wade Boggs, the Hall of Famer. We're talking chicken. We're talking beer. We're talking Hall of Fame baseball on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. The children's music and dance teacher who couldn't cha-cha. I was always on my feet. It was just so painful. Elisa couldn't let her students down. So she stepped up and went to the Good Feet store for personally fitted arch supports. I would work an entire day and my feet didn't hurt at the end of the day. That was when I knew, wow, these are different. But the really good part, it's good to be dancing together again. Stop by or schedule your free fitting at goodfeet.com. Every Friday here on The Game is always powered by Brian Harden Construction, industrial contractors and fabrication, laser cutting, CNC machines, reverse engineering, experience you can count on. Let's build something together. BeHardenCONST.com, and we're looking for people to become a part of our winning team, structural welders, pipe fitters. You'll find those at Brian Harden Construction. Let them guide you, and if they're not able to help you, they can guide you in the right direction. It's Brian Harden Construction every Friday made possible by Brian Harden Construction here on The Game on Tide 100.9. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. We'll maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon, mostly cloudy with a high at 83. For tonight, showers ending this evening, becoming fair, the low 68. Tomorrow, partly sunny, a few widely scattered storms around the high 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 73 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, I'm Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson. Very pleased to welcome our guests. Actually, for the second time, Wade Boggs joined us last year, and I want to tip my Rays or socks or Yankees cap to my good buddy Sammy Lee, who I've now known. By the way, Sammy's listening. It's been 41 years I've known Sammy. But, uh, Wade, first of all, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you taking some time with us. And set us up with uh, how you got uh, a really good friendship with a, a, an angler from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Hey, guys. Good, good to be on with you. Um, yeah, I met Sammy uh, a few years back uh, when he was with Ranger. And... Uh, 
actually Ranger uh, and the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time uh, sort of commissioned a, a specialty boat that they gave me for my retirement uh, here in Tampa Bay. So uh, Sammy was part of that, but uh, we go way back with the uh, with the friendship with my dad and various things like that. And I've fished a few times with Sammy, and uh, he's a character. He really is. He doesn't like Alabama football, does he? <laughs> no, 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 not not at all. Imagine you're sitting there in your Ranger, and he's just talking your ear off about uh, the Alabama Georgia game in '84. Uh, anyway, hey, let's talk some baseball for a minute, and then we're just going to scatter and talk about some really fun stuff. Although baseball is fun, um, the Rays are for real, aren't they? Let's hope so. Yeah, uh, they're you know playing as as well as anybody, and and. Uh, the, hopefully that uh, they're old enough in, in baseball years to know that it's a marathon and not a sprint. That, uh, you know, at any given time, you can run into a buzzsaw, and next thing you know, you've lost uh, 10 out of 12, 12 out of 15, and uh, things are going south. Uh, we did that in 96 when we went to the West Coast. We lost 14 out of 15, and... Uh, we were going pretty good at the time, but uh, coincidentally, Toronto had lost just about uh, the same. So it didn't really affect us too much in the standings. But, um, yeah, they, they can run away with this deal and clinch it by August and uh, sort of cruise into the playoffs. Wade, when you were growing up, was there anything special or unique that you did to try to develop your hand-eye coordination that really helped you with your hitting and what advice i have an eight-year-old who just absolutely is infatuated with baseball what advice would you have for young kids who are just sort of getting going in the sport for how to become uh the next wade boggs and get over three thousand career hits in the uh, major <laughs> leagues uh, get off Nintendo, number one. Um, that's, <laughs> Thank uh, you. When I was growing up, uh, we had kids in the neighborhood. We'd find a vacant lot, and uh, we'd be out there at 7, 7.30 in the morning and play all day. You know, we'd play stickball and, and whatever it took to, you know, just wiffle ball. That was that was one of our, our favorites. Um, nowadays, you go buy a vacant lot, and it's just a vacant lot. Um, you know, kids don't pick up the wiffle ball and bat anymore, and and uh, those that do, you can tell that, that their eye-hand coordination is a little bit better than, uh, than the other kids. Um, in my opinion, um, the video games do not um, enhance eye-hand coordination. And uh, so get out there and uh, play wiffle ball and, and play as much as you can. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. I mean... Get your friends out there, and and whether it's a broomstick with a tennis ball or, or what have you, that's that's the biggest thing is is uh, just swing at a movable object. That's that's the biggest that's the biggest thing. Did you always know that, or did you always feel that you had just a really really uh, spot on good hand eye coordination, or is it something that you developed? Oh no, I was born with it. It, it was something that that. I could always hit the ball harder and further than all the kids uh, my age growing up. And and I would make more contact than other kids. Um, didn't have the fear of striking out because I made contact all the time. So that that would allow me when when I got older and 
play professionally and then once got to the big leagues that I didn't have to worry about getting to do strikes because um, you got to throw it over the little white house and and if you don't then uh, it's a ball and I'm going to take it and if you do I'm going to swing and make uh, solid contact. Wade, what was a pitch in your storied years in Major League Baseball that you kind of had trouble with, a pitcher that uh, you owned, maybe even a Hall of Famer, and then maybe somebody you struggled with? Probably the, the one pitch that that, that gave me uh, fits, uh, Roberto Hernandez, when he was playing for the White Sox, he threw a about a 92, 93-mile-an-hour split. And for someone that hits by recognition and and knowing that the split's going to tumble and go out of the strike zone, I could never see his ball tumble. And unlike Jack Morris, who threw his split about 87, 88, I could see Jack's tumble out of his hand. But for some reason, Roberto Hernandez, I just couldn't pick that up. And, and, and so that was, uh, thank God everybody didn't have, uh, uh, 93 mile an hour split back in the day. But, um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't a piece of cake uh, or a day at the beach to face Randy Johnson. He was he was uh, one of the guys that that gave me fits. I was three for twenty seven lifetime off of him, and two of the three came in uh, one game. So uh, he he wasn't fun to face. Uh, Wade, you played in the longest game in professional baseball history when you were in and the minors, and that'll yep. never happen again. <laughs> uh, when you were playing for Pawtucket and uh, and you were facing uh, Cal Ripken and the Rochester Red Wings, it lasted 33 innings, 8 hours, 25 minutes. Do you remember your stat line from that game? And, and just what, what, what sticks out to you about that game? Well, it was Easter Eve and it was freezing cold. And, and we were hoping that uh, guys in the lineup would break bats because we had a 55-gallon drum that we were burning them in just to stay warm. Um, it was a brutal, windy, cold night. Uh, wind blowing in about 25 miles an hour from left field. And uh, I was 4 for 12 in the game and drove in the tying run in the, to- uh, in the bottom of the 22nd inning. Um <laughs> to tie the game at 2-2. So that was, um, and then we played till about uh, 4.45. And the umpires finally called the game because they couldn't get a hold of the uh, league president. And then we uh, concluded it in June and only went one inning, sort of anticlimactic. Uh, but at that time, uh, Major League Baseball was on strike. And we were the we were the, the big game in town. And... Uh, they had asked if we would go up to Fenway Park and, and resume that game and, and play in Fenway Park. And we as players said no, that uh, we didn't want to cross any picket lines or or sort of uh, step on any of the big league guys' toes. So we concluded it in Pawtucket and, uh, like I said, went one inning and, and Dave Coza drove in Marty Barrett for the winning run. Hmm. Who did you watch growing up maybe emulate? Pete Rose. Yeah, Pete Rose, Reggie Jackson. Um, they were my two go-to guys that uh, I always love watching. And and uh, and it was super thrill once I got to meet them, once I got to the big league. So um, they, were, they were my two guys. Wade, uh, you obviously spent the majority of your career with the Boston Red Sox, 82 to 92. And then 93... 
you went to the dark side, as many Boston fans would say, by playing for the Yankees. I'm a big Yankees fan myself. But what was that transition like? And how did Boston fans treat you when you went from Boston to New York? And, and you know, Boston and New York is really one of the great rivalries in all of sports. Well, it's not an easy transition, but uh, the fact was that uh, at the end of the 91 season, Mr. Jockey had offered me a seven-year deal uh, for $37 million uh, to stay in Boston, and I wanted to sign right there, and we were talking about it in the parking lot after the season in 91, and unfortunately, in uh, January of 92, uh, she had slipped and fell in a uh, bathtub and, and died. Uh, and so when I got to spring training, uh, the front office took the offer off the table. I uh, played the 92 season and then uh, became a free agent. So it wasn't uh, like I left Boston. I was, I was looking forward to signing that seven-year deal, staying in Boston and being a Red Sox player for life. And once I became a free agent, um, you know, all, all chips are off the table at that, at that point. Um, so... Uh, Mr. Steinbrenner was uh, suspended at the time, but uh, his son-in-law, Joe Malloy, had called and set up a meeting. And my agent and I uh, met with uh, the Yankees and wound up signing a three-year deal. And wound up uh, 96, winning a World Series. So it was uh, it was uh, a good move on my part. But uh, like I said, I wanted to stay in Boston. I didn't want to leave. And... and being back in the good graces of uh, the Boston fans now, my first game back in uh, in Fenway wasn't uh, um, too gracious, but um, you know it never is when a player leaves an organization and goes back with a, a, a different team. Well, speaking of winning that World Series in '96, uh, I was in New York at the time, and I was there uh, when you guys uh, won it. And they beat the Braves. Y'all just say, yeah. But you know, one of the most memorable scenes of, of that entire season, and it's just forever etched in my brain, is uh, you on top of the horse, uh, the police uh, horse. Could could you just tell us that story of how that came about? Well, it's probably one of the smartest moves I've ever made. Uh, <laughs> that, 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 that picture's made me a lot of money, but. Um, yeah, we were doing a dog pile, and 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 the fans were so gracious. Uh, they didn't storm the field. They were just standing in front of their seats and clapping and cheering us on. And and we decided as a as a unit to uh, take a victory lap. And the next thing I know, I'm in left center field on the back of a police horse. And till this day, I've never gone back and looked at any video of of how I got upon that horse. But um, it was uh, one of those surreal moments that riding around Yankee Stadium on the back of a police horse and and just looking at the mass of humanity that that are cheering us on and and it was it was really really neat for New York at the time because they hadn't won in 18 years and and finally got a championship back in New York. Wade, one of the very few things that uh, Lars, Matt, and Wade Boggs have in common is that we love a cold beer. Quick story. Yesterday, Lars and I are in Tuscaloosa. We'd made some sales calls. And we're just goofing off. I said, pull in here and let, let me grab a couple of tall boys. And so I get back to the car and I pulled out and I handed. Lars, you remember what you said? I do, I do not. You said, what, they didn't have any PBR? Because uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of notorious right. in, in my Boggs league. is blue. Boggs uh, is cool man. blue. You got to. 
You got to go there, man. I'm telling you. Uh, the the 16-year-old Stall Boys. Yeah, they're they're awesome. I love them. How did you develop a rela- uh, relationship with uh, Pass Blue Ribbon Beer? Well, I, I uh, hired a private investigator, and we did some uh, soul searching, some background checks, and <laughs> and uh, back yeah, back in '83, uh, I was in a in a bar, in Milwaukee, and and you know they've been using this campaign ad for a long time, and and Cool Blue is way box. Uh, there's there's no question about it, and and it's um, if you don't believe me, go to uh, Cool Blue uh, or Boggs's Blue uh, Boggs's Cool Blue dot com and see for yourself that uh, the similarities uh, aren't just coincidental. But uh, no, it kind of does look like you. Oh, it, it does. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it uh, it's it's Wade Boggs, by the way. So I, I've got to ask, since we're talking about beer, is the urban legend of you uh, imbibing 73 beers on one flight, cross-country flight, is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a myth. It's, it's documented proof. What is this? Is it your metabolism? I guess. I guess. I, I, I you know... A lot of people have different gifts, and I guess that was <laughs> one gift that, that I reluctantly got. But, um, yeah, don't try it. Uh, if you do try it, try it at home. No. Uh, and, yeah, and believe yeah, really. me. Yeah. yeah, don't drink and drive, because in 1986, my mother was killed by a drunk driver. So oh, um, I'm an advocate of uh, don't drink and drive. Hey, man, call a cab, uh, Uber, or, or what have you. Hey, we're going to let you go, Wade, but uh, just real quickly, everybody buy PBR. Make sure you, there you, go. you, you heard about it from Wade Boggs. But what, <laughs> what right, are you guys, doing now? Okay, thanks, man. Appreciate it very you much. Have a good hey, Thank yeah. you, Wade. Uh, Hall of Famer Wade Boggs on Big Noon Sports. Tell your friends. Um, fascinating. I didn't know the, the story about his trade uh, and how a tragedy ended up with him wearing pinstripes. I had never heard that before either. And uh, that really, that tragedy changed a lot of things in for, uh, had a lot of uh, ripple effects. And who knows, the Yankees may not have uh, won that World Series against your Braves without Wade Boggs, uh, if Wade had, had uh, stayed with Boston. Because he, he was, even though he was in the, sort of in the last years of his career, he still was an amazing hitter. I mean, he he really, Matt, he may be the best hitter I've seen with my own eyes in my entire life. And he's had such a, you know, the, that beautiful lefty swing and, and he could just hit to all fields. And man, if you needed a guy to get you one hit in a clutch situation, I think I would take Wade Boggs over any other player that I've ever seen personally. Well, that list is very short. I'd have to put Tony Gwynn way up there because, uh, yeah, man, he, he was a lot like Boggs. He could hit the all fields, and he just hardly ever struck out, which is uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, thank you again, Sammy Lee. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Back in a minute, we'll update you on the U.S. Open from Los Angeles Country Club. From T-Town to the Plains, 
This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. 1994. I remember. And that's that's the closest that any hitter has come to uh, 400 in the expansion era. And that that, uh, his career batting average was his career this is amazing his career batting average was 338 and that's the highest since ted williams so you got ted williams and then tony gwynn and uh and it's 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 sad that tony gwynn uh died at at, at such a, a young age um and uh and and i know in 19 yeah that's a thing in 94 if you remember that was the strike shortened season. And so he uh, he really, we were robbed of that chance because that was Tony Gwynn's chance to hit 400, but the strike halted play in mid-August. And, oh, by the way, when the strike stopped play, Gwynn had a 14-game hitting streak at the time. So, like, he had everything going for him and um, gosh, he never his batting average that whole season never dipped below three hundred. Man, those guys! The, I don't think we'll ever see another four hundred hitter. I think just because they're going to change things, unless they change things with the mound or something to make it a little easier on I, the hitters. Is it because the, so the, specialty, the specialization like, of pitching? Right? Yeah, because you don't have starters going ten innings or nine innings no. anymore. They're bringing a guy out of the pen after five innings, and he's bringing a whole new array of pitches. Uh, you mentioned the Ted Williams hitting 406. You've probably heard this, but there is an amazing story of how that season ended with Ted, the splendid splinter. They called him Thumper, Ted Williams. We'll go on to that on the other side of this break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Stephen Mez. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. We'll maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon, mostly cloudy with a high at 83. For tonight, showers ending this evening, becoming fair, the low 68. Tomorrow, partly sunny, a few widely scattered storms around, the high 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 73 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big News Sports, Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson. Thanks to Seth and to Noah for uh, banning down the hatches. Uh, Lars, let me give you an update on uh, what's going on in the U.S. Open. Xander Schauffele is uh, at minus three through six, so he's obviously off to a great start. Dylan Wu um, is also three under. He's through 11. Ricky Fowler, I would really like to see this guy win one. Uh, He's kind of been criticized greatly for maybe doing things like too many commercials uh, in his downtime and that affected his game. I don't know that to be a fact. I just know that some people have uh, made that accusation. But uh, Fowler's at minus three through seven and I could go on and on through the leaderboard. I think it's worth noting that now tied for fourth, he is through 13 and is at minus two is a guy named 
Jacob Solomon. Lars, I wouldn't have known the answer to this until just a little while ago. Do you? Have you heard of Jacob Solomon, golfer, USO? Negative. He plays at Auburn. <laughs> oh, good for him. All right. In fact, great article uh, on AL.com. like to give credit when credit is due. There are seven players from Alabama, seven in the field uh, for the U.S. Open. Stuart Sink, of course, I think this is his 23rd. What a, I don't think he's given enough credit as a golfer at the prof- professional level. We just mentioned Jacob Solomon, Brendan Valdez, also from Auburn. And then you have Alabama golfers, of course, you got JT. Nick Dunlap, Lee Scott Academy, did I read that right? Davis Thompson, are uh, any of those guys students of yours, or were they students? <laughs> no, uh, I think we're soon we'll hear uh, Cannon Claycomb, who we had on the other day, who's one of my students and who just uh, decided to uh, return to Alabama for his senior year. Uh, and he is Alabama's uh, top golfer, uh, and uh, I think we're going to see him on the on the PGA Tour within mm, two or three years. Uh, he he's got he's got incredible game. He's got incredible game. He, he he's, loves uh, the he's, uh, he, Yeah, he loves the big dog, uh, and he's he's a big dude. I mean, he he absolutely can can just destroy the ball. But before we went to break, uh, you mentioned the story about uh, the story that you wanted to tell about Ted Williams in in 1941, and I'm actually familiar with this story, and it's a really really good one, Matt. Well, then you share in the in the retail here, but and I may have a number off by one, but I think he was hitting 402 going into the last game of the year, and actually it was a doubleheader. He was actually and hitting. So, he was hitting three ninety nine point five. Okay. See, that makes it even more compelling. Which would have been rounded up to four hundred, by the way. Yeah. So if he sits, he hits four hundred. Right, but guess what? True to form, Ted Williams. He was an honorary cuss now, folks. He really was, but he was a hell of a hitter. Uh, he said, "Hell no, I'm just not sitting." And what did he do? He went six for eight in the doubleheader. He went six for eight. Uh, he went six for eight. And uh, in, in the first game, he went four for five. And that raised his batting average to 404. Right? So he could have just stopped. I mean, it wouldn't. I, what would you do in that situation? Your, you, your average is a 404. And and if you go and play and you go like 0 for 3, 0 for 4, you're going to dip below. below. Yeah. But what does he do? He goes 2 for 3 to finish the season at, at 4.06. And he was the, the first player since Billy Terry uh, in 1930 to reach 400. And uh, I'm sure you know all about Billy Terry. He hit uh, 4.01 for the New York Giants. Uh, so, but that year of 41, when Williams hit 406, he ended the season with 37 home runs, 120 RBIs, um, on base percentage of 553, uh, that stood a record that stood for 61 years. Uh, Barry Bonds beat it out in 2002. And, um, but yeah, I mean, Ted Williams, uh, 
he was a very sort of eccentric individual and uh, uh, Sports Illustrated did uh, a series of stories with him like fishing with Ted Williams and and you know and and just trying to figure out like what made him so masterful uh, as a hitter and he just uh, he just guard I mean if he had any secrets he, he guarded them uh, very well you know like uh, like they were gold at Fort Knox like he just uh, wasn't going to open the vault and let you know I think many people say and he admitted this too is that I think they actually measured his eyesight it was like 2010 yeah. and he uh, he credits and boy if you're going to have eye hand coordination why not have 2010 eye hand coordination because that can only help uh, what's the old story that um it was like a rookie catcher and you know he's behind the plate when williams got in and um his pitcher throws one right on the edge right on the outside a sure strike and umpire went boom and the catcher turned around and said that was a strike and he says if Mr. Williams isn't swinging at it, it's a ball. <laughs> uh, uh, um, love that story. Yeah, no, a similar story. Uh, it's one of my favorite books uh, of all time. And it's called a, a, a Sense of Where You Are. And I think it was written by John McPhee, but it's about Bill Bradley when Bradley uh, was a basketball player at um, Princeton. And he, uh, for the for the story, they just get, they go to a gym, and Bradley just takes one shot at a hoop, and he said that that rims off, and he's in the and the writer was like what, uh, and um, and so the next day, uh, and it was John McAfee, uh, who is the author. He's a, a legendary uh, writer for the New Yorker, and. Um, and uh, and the next day, so Bradley takes one shot, and says that rims off. It's it's uh, ten inches, uh, ten feet and a quarter inch. McPhee the next day goes back to that gym and he's got a tape measure. Sure enough, ten feet, quarter inch. Like Bradley, <laughs> one shot, he knew that that rim was a quarter inch high. <laughs> I mean, this, it, it, there are just certain athletes that do things and see things that the normal person couldn't even fathom of one ever seen, but even ever uh, imagining seeing that or realizing that. And uh, and that, that that's just something, I read that book, uh, I think when I was in grad school, just, you know, just for pleasure. And uh, that, that story has just stuck with me all these years. And now I actually like to bring a tape measure if I'm like I used to when I was in New York. What are you, Gene Hackman? <laughs> no, I just want to know if it's ten, if it's actually ten feet. You know, if I'm playing outside, I need to know uh, the the, uh, the 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 strength of the wind. Well, uh, you're the you know you're the Steph Curry of uh, New York City streets. <laughs> that's that's right. You would know, and I imagine all the rims in all those great playgrounds throughout New York City, they're all exactly 10 as much as yeah. they got dunked and slammed on. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, by the way, Ted Williams, and you would know this because of the Sports Illustrated story, you just mentioned it. Ted Williams, of course, is Cooperstown Hall of Fame, but he is also a Hall of Fame angler. 
Yeah. Um, and and that's just not by oh here's Ted he fishes let's give him this. He was a great angler and Sammy Lee ought to appreciate that and Wade Boggs as well. But I want to get back to our question. We're going to answer this each. Okay. If you were hitting 399 and no change, uh, well, obviously you would you would play to try and hit 400. Let me rephrase this. Let's say you were hitting 400 going into the last game. Would you play? I would, just because uh, one, if you're hitting 400, you got to feel pretty damn confident in yourself, and two, it it's just a sort of like it. It's a bad look, not just a bad look, but as a competitor, you want to be out there competing. You don't want to sort of back your way into a record. And that's what that would come off as. How about you? That's what people would remember, more so than hitting 400. It's like Eric Parsegian going for the tie, oh, right? That oh, uh, uh, was the best team that year anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, Tom, to Tom, Tom Osborne went for two and lost a national I championship. Love that guy. I loved it. But, but, yeah, that earned him more respect across the country than anything yep. else he ever did was the fact that he went for two and he didn't pull an Era Parsegian. And that's what Era Parsegian is known for. The guy played for a tie, not the win. Yep. Of course, Alabama fans will never, never let him forget that either. He actually beat Alabama for a national championship. I think maybe it was in 73. My memory right there. Um, I've also thought of another approach to this question is what if you were the pitcher last at bat guys got to have a hit are you bearing down or are you going hey it's a splendid splinter i want somebody to get 300 i'm going to throw in the room service fastball i i would uh dig deep into my bag of tricks and throw them the ephus <laughs> oh the swung and missed Oh, wow. What get, a way to Get answer. Ted Williams out on the ethos. Uh, this is awesome stuff. Uh, all right, Lars, we say we rewind the let's, clock. Let's do another, do another hour. hour. You all bet. Right, let's do it. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. WTUG HD2 Noise Court and W265CG Tuscaloosa. A town square media station. One man to beat, you can forget about it. Touchdown, Alabama. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Back on Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. 
We're getting our second hour, Lars Anderson and Matt Coulter. Let me uh, just run through the leaderboard. I'm sure you've got it in front of you as well, Lars. Uh, let's uh, standard shuffle is uh, minus three through seven. I gave. Uh, let's see. You've got oh, how many golfers at minus three? Uh, Charon Cole. Don't know. Barjan minus three. Dylan Wu. Uh, and the Auburn golfer is through 13. That's Jacob Solomon, and he is minus three as well. Just scroll it down and maybe catch a couple of others here for you. Stuart Sink, Alabama golfer, is minus one through seven. DeChambeau is even, making the turn. Um, let's see what else I got here. Sergio's even. Uh, Midway, Fleetwood, what a class guy, Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, he is even through 10. So I'm trying to scroll down here, Lars. You know what I'm doing. I'm looking to see how our man's doing, and that's JT. Going into this, I had a pick, and I'll share it with you after I ask you the same question. <laughs> okay. I, I got to just, uh, since I mentioned the EFIS pitch at the oh, end of the great. last hour, sure. I got I to get into it. But do you want to go first? Go ahead. Uh, let's finish this off, and, and then let's dive into one of the oddest pitches in the history of baseball. Actually, it would be it would fit in in men's slow pitch softball. But uh, anyway, I thought Scott. I, I'm thinking um, Scotty Scheffler. Oh, uh, you like Scotty Scheffler? Yeah, I think um, he's like even just teed off. Yeah, I mean that's not a bad pick. Uh, I really hope Ricky Fowler can uh, can rebound. He's had a, a rough year, maybe rough couple years, yeah. and I've always thought that he's just he's had so much game. He's so charismatic, and he at, at one point I really thought that he and JT were going to become the faces of American golf, and uh, it just hasn't happened yet. But they're still young enough where I think it, it could. I, I think uh, Justin Thomas has been playing better than, than Fowler lately. But Fowler just, uh, I had dinner with him uh, before the Masters uh, several years ago. And I, I just, he, he, there's just something magnetic about him. He's, he, he's, he's very intelligent. Most golfers are, by the way. I mean, you, you know, you, you have to have a creative mind to be a PGA Tour player. But you also have to be able to focus your brain. Yes, and you have to be, uh, you have to be a dedicated person. You have to be a consistent person. You have to be willing to work your tail off because, I mean, it's every single day. I mean, you got to be out on the course every single day. I mean, just when we were uh, talking to, to Cannon the other day, Alabama's top golfer, um, you know, he was going over his schedule for the next uh, three weeks and he's, he's in tournaments and he's practicing every single day. I mean, it's a job. For him right now you know and uh and and be, but he loves it and it's his passion and and uh he certainly has uh the uh academic aptitude to do whatever he wants you know and he's got but, the game yeah he, he does have the game uh but so i i'm i'm pulling for uh ricky 
And and you said that Ricky was uh, what three under. Yep. So that's a turn. yeah. So that's a it's a good start for him and 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 confidence as it as it as it is in any sport is especially important in golf. Uh, and and if Ricky can get off to a good start, get that confidence up. And uh, you know, trust your swing, trust your uh, your instincts. Don't question. Don't have bad thoughts in your head as you're pulling the club back. Um, God, there's just so much that goes into a golf swing, and and I've been uh, playing a lot of golf with my son Lincoln, and uh, we're actually going golfing after after the show today. Uh, we may just be going to the range and then working on chipping and putting, but uh, he, uh, hey, yeah. I just want to ask you a real quick question about Fowler. We'll finally get around to the EFAS and the dinner. Where did you eat? What did he eat? And who paid? For oh, uh, <laughs> it was at a uh, it was at a private country club, and uh, I think I think it was actually. Uh, I think, um, God, is it, I think Mercedes ended up paying. Is it Mercedes? Oh, okay. I think Mercedes is one of his like sponsors. And uh, yeah, yeah I, it felt dirty. Like I, I, but it was with Bleacher Report and Bleacher insisted that uh, Mercedes sort of be a part of this. And uh, it was really one of the last stories I did for Bleacher because I had to mention, I was forced sort of at gunpoint to mention Mercedes high in the story. And uh, so I, I didn't like that, but it was a good meal and it was a good time with Ricky. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so he, uh, again, like it was, I think it was the day, it was, it was, it was the Wednesday night before the start of the Masters. Wow. And oh. um, it was, yeah. yeah it, you writers have such ethics. Because, <laughs> and I can remember guys, for instance, Kevin Skarbinski. Um, you know, we would, broadcasters are different. We'd get on a team plane, we'd fly somewhere. We did not insist on paying for the ticket. If uh, they had a lunch for you and a news conference, we didn't insist on paying the lunches. Now, writers were different. Um, their editors said, you know, we don't want anybody to ever question us. Now, it's 180, 180 degrees the other way. You question everybody, get as much swag as you can. All right, we got to go back to the EFIS. Let me explain to to those listening to Big Ben Sports here what an EFIS is, and then Lars is going to tell you the story. It is when a major league pitcher that's usually throwing 90, 95 miles an hour kind of stops his motion and lobs the ball up, much in men's slow pitch fashion, and it goes, I don't know, what do you think, 15 feet in the air, and then it comes down. It may hit the strike zone, it may not, but it's difficult sometimes because hitters are so used to seeing the giddy-up that this thing is coming in there about 45 miles an hour. A lot of times they swing and miss, and it's it's probably not comical to the hitter, uh, but it's comical to, uh, it's like the Savannah Bananas are in town. Now, what's your story? All right, so the EFIS pitch it was popularized in the uh, 1930s by a uh, Pirates pitcher named uh, Rip Sewell. 
Um, and uh, it, it, like you said, it's just like a high arcing lob or a, a junk ball, right? And uh, I think everyone, every pitcher has like their own name for it. Uh, Dave Steeb, formerly of uh, Toronto, uh, he's not, no longer in the game, but he called it the dead fish. Uh, <laughs> and Steve Hamilton uh, of the Yankees, uh, he called it the uh, folly floater. And I'll get back to Steve Hamilton in a second. So two famous stories about the Ephus. In the 1946 All-Star game, uh, Rip Sewell, again, the pitcher who popularized it, he throws one to Ted Williams. And Williams swings and he misses. And Williams is like, give that to me again. And Sewell's like, okay, big boy. Throws the Ephus. What happens? Williams hits it over the right field fence home run. <laughs> um, and then uh, in, uh, gosh, in 1970, Steve Hamilton of the Yankees. He's facing uh, Tony Horton uh, of uh, the Cleveland Indians. And he throws one and Horton fouls it off behind home plate. And Horton is like, he did the same thing that Williams did. He's like, I dare you to give me that again. And so Hamilton, the pitcher, throws what he called the folly floater, but uh, he throws him the Ephus and he popped it up. Horton did, popped it up and Yankee catcher Thurman Munson made the easy catch. And Horton was so ashamed of that at bat that he literally crawled back to the dugout. <laughs> Just go to the videotape, I'd like to see that. There's, there's actually, it is on YouTube. It is on YouTube. You can uh, you can see it. It was like, and it, it's, yeah. Um, That's yeah. awesome. So there are two things we're directing the Big Noon Sports listeners to today. One is uh, Cool Blue, Wade Boggs, PBR. And the other one is, who was the hitter again? Hamilton? He was the pitcher. Steve, Steve Hamilton was the pitcher, and the hitter was uh, Cleveland's Tony Horton. And uh, it goes all the way back to 19, it was in 1970. So anyway, that's some fun okay. with the, with the EFIS. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've been, we've been talking sports, Matt, you and I for a decade and we've never discussed the EFIS. All right. One other comment or note for you trivia buffs. Uh, Rip Sewell is from Decatur, Alabama. And I was looking him up to see if he was any relationship to Joe from the Joe, Joe Sewell. Uh, but I hadn't been able to find that. Lars, I'll let you look it up during the break. Wow. Man, you, you do such a good job of tying everything back to Alabama. You know, uh, the, the saying in, in the, the saying in Italy, right, is all roads lead to Rome. But yeah. the, say, the saying in big noon sports is all roads lead to Alabama. Uh, well, hey, I'll take that. I mean, we're broadcasting in the state of Alabama. So <laughs> we're going to do that. Uh, bottom of the hour, we're going to talk with Brian Crichton, who's president of Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, they got a really cool event. You can drive your car on the 2.66 mile oval. I've done it several times. It's worth a $50 donation. He will fill in some blanks. We'll talk a little NASCAR with him. 
Also, uh, Matt, big salute to a big-time baseball coach when we get back right here on Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Hey, Jim. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. We'll maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon, mostly cloudy with a high at 83. For tonight, showers ending this evening, becoming fair, the low 68. Tomorrow, partly sunny, a few widely scattered storms around, the high 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 75 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big News Sports presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. Uh, Matt Coulter and Lars Anderson. And I say Big Noon Sports because now it's going to be subtitled Where All Roads Lead to Alabama. All right. We were just talking about Rip Sewell, who back in the 1930s created the EFIS pitch. His cousin, it turns out, was Joe Sewell. Who is Joe Sewell? Well, uh, have you ever been to the Joe? Have you ever been to Alabama's baseball stadium? He's that Joe Sewell. And uh, he's a fascinating figure in his own right. I mean, that's why they named the stadium after him, right? Um, he, uh, he was born in Titus, Alabama. Uh, he lettered in college football. Uh, he lettered in football at, at Alabama in 17, 18, and 19. And he led uh, Alabama to four conference titles. Uh, and then he went to uh, the minors for a year and then began his big league career. And I believe to this day, he holds the modern uh, single season record for fewest strikeouts over a full season. In 1932, he only struck out three times. Yeah. Three Amazing. times. Amazing. Um, and, uh, and, and also, uh, this is according to his obituary that was published in the New York Times. He played his entire major league career which went from September of 1920 to September of 1933 by using only one bat. And it was a 40 ounce bat that he called Black Betsy. And he kept it in shape by rubbing it with a Coke bottle and seasoning it with chewing tobacco. (laughs) And he he is the cousin of Rip Sewell. So, the creator of the EFIS. So, yes, all roads lead to Tuscaloosa. You know, most batters in Major League Baseball now probably carry four or five bats. You know, that stat about hey, like, his bat I mean, may I, be more impressive than his three strikeouts. Yeah. Most eight-year-olds carry two at bats, two bats in their bag. Dollars a piece. Oh, yeah, trust me, I know. You know that um, story, don't you? Yes, yeah. Oh. Hey, Lars, I I don't know if you knew him personally. I did. Jim Case, the longtime baseball coach at Jacksonville State University, announced his retirement. Uh, He first started uh, at Mississippi State under the legendary Hall of Famer uh, Ron Polk 
Uh, then he came to UAB for 10 years as an assistant, and then he spent the last 22 years with the Gamecocks where they finished first, second, first, second, third. Uh, in their conference, they won um, two regular season, three regular season titles, five tournaments, uh, made the NCAAs, uh, I don't know, three or four times, coach of the year three times. Anyway, uh, he's hanging up his hat, and not only is uh, he a great baseball guy, but he's a great guy. And I just wanted to, uh, you know, tip the old ball cap to uh, Jim Case, and I am efforting to get him on the show just to talk some baseball. We'll ask him about the EFAS and how mm-hmm. Jim Case, his road leads back to Alabama. <laughs> of course, of course. Did, have you ever tried to hit the EFAS? Uh, I guess when we were little kids goofing around, maybe. Um, it's really difficult because it's for obvious reasons. I mean, if Ted Williams could miss it on his first try, you yeah. can kind of understand why. I, and I'll tell you a quick story related to that. Back when I was in Tuscaloosa working for WCFT-TV 33, um, we had a softball team that we would play for charity. And somebody in our newsroom came over the eye. And by the way, we were pretty good. Um, somebody in our newsroom said, you know what, we ought to call, I think it was Barry Schollenberger at the time, was coach of Alabama, said, see if we can't play at what is now the Joe and play slow pitch softball with Alabama's current baseball team. Well, believe it or not, they bit. Um, and man, we, we had probably a thousand people after watching us play. And we were so used to playing slow pitch and they weren't that we actually, we played two like five innings uh, for, a, for a double header. We played the first game and we actually beat them nine to eight. Well, we had the second doubleheader. They beat us about 56 to nothing because they got their timing down. And I ran into the fence and left about 20 times trying mm-hmm. to chase down softballs that were just getting blasted into the parking lot in front of. Uh, right there in front of Memorial Coliseum. So that may not have been the most electrifying story of the day, but uh, well, since, I got it out. Since we're uh, talking a lot of baseball today, um, I think it's worth noting that uh, it appears now that the Oakland A's, it appears to be a done deal that they are moving to Las Vegas. Uh, the uh, athletics uh, exit from Oakland, it... it it cleared a big hurdle uh, on Wednesday night, last night, when the Nevada legislature gave final approval to, to of course, publicly fund a portion of a proposed $1.5 billion stadium in Vegas uh, with a retractable roof. Uh, the deal still, need, still needs a signature of uh, Governor Joe Lombardo. And MLB, uh, Major League Baseball, must uh, approve the uh, relocation, but those are expected. And I I hate this. I absolutely hate this, Matt, because uh, the A's have so much history in Oakland. And, uh, you know, uh, Oakland just lost the Raiders, right, to Las Vegas. Um, I think they were still in Oakland, weren't they? Yes. And uh, and and just uh, uh, this morning, uh, Bryce Harper, right, uh, who is from Las Vegas, 
he came out and said, hey, man, I, I don't do this to the uh, people of Oakland. Like, if you want Las Vegas to have a, a baseball team, give them an expansion franchise. Uh, there's just too much history. And, 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 and I agree. I mean, uh, I, I, I can go on and on about, you know, the A's history and, and, uh, and, and uh, just uh, some of the, the, the great players that they've had over the years. And uh, I, I just, I hate it when tradition is just shoved aside in this, for the sake of uh, the mighty dollar. Money, money, money. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why, and you know this too. But during a, a three-game homestand, uh, the Atlanta Braves will average more in one game than Oakland will in three. And by a sizable margin, nobody's going to their games. They've almost forced the hand. They've forced the issue. So they're going to Vegas. But in the thread of the show, all roads lead to Alabama. Let me just do a quick dive. The Oakland A's with... Um, Reggie Jackson and Burt Campanaris and Joe Rudy. Man, I could go. I could name you their starting lineup from uh, 70, 71. Anyway, that team that went on to win a couple of World Series titles, their farm team, their double A was where? Birmingham. The A's were in Birmingham and played at Rickwood Field. Now, the second edition of the powerful A's, the Bash Brothers with Canseco and McGuire, uh, they won a couple of World Series as well. Their double A was in Huntsville. All roads lead to Alabama, Lars. Wow. There's just no question about it. I forgot about the Bash Brothers. Uh, that was that they were a fun team to watch, and uh, it was. Uh, uh, did they win? How many World Series did they win? I think they won two, but you know you're testing the old man's memory here. But but you're a lot faster. You can find that out here in just a second. Uh, yeah. By the way, uh, speaking of baseball, the Braves swept two at Detroit. Uh, big wins, high scoring games, but Braves win. Braves win. Hey, let's take a break and we get back. Bash Brothers won the World Series in 1989. That was their only one. That was the only um, one. Yeah, and they played together for seven years. And the Bash Brothers, of course, were Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. And they did that uh, forearm bump. Yep. And they did it a lot because they hit a lot of home runs. And they and, and they now, struck uh, and they struck out a lot, or at least Canseco struck out a lot. Well, and Canseco let a ball bounce off his head. And yeah, I, I, that's that's what I remember as well. And unfortunately, it's due to their own, you know, their own lifestyle, their own choices. But uh, neither one of those guys is uh, remembered as a Hall of Famer because of their relationship to performance enhancing drugs. Would you like to drive your own car at 100 miles an hour, maybe even a little bit more, around the 2.6-inch-mile oval, the world's most competitive track at Talladega? We're going to give you your chance, give you the information on the other side of this break. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. See America. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker. 
Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Big Men Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. Matt, Lars, Seth, Noah. Our gang is here, and we are pleased to be joined by the president of Talladega Super Speedway, Brian Crichton. Uh, he's got something going on really, really cool this weekend. I'll just, I'm going to kind of uh, check you off pit road and let you go back on the track and explain to everybody. And by the way, let me just give this ringing endorsement. I have done this with my kids, my grandkids, and maybe one day I'll do it with my great-grandchildren. But this is very, very cool and very worthwhile. Brian, how are you, man? Doing well, Matt. How are you? Life's great, man. Good. Lars? Uh, Couldn't ask for more. Uh, Tell us about what you got going on at Talladega. Yeah, absolutely. This Saturday from uh, 9 to to about noon, maybe a little bit after, we are doing laps around the track to benefit the uh, Boys and Girls Club of Talladega County. So we invite everybody to come on out and for a $50 donation, all $50 will go to the uh, United Way. Um, It is, um, you know, you get to drive your personal vehicle around the racetrack for three laps. So you get to experience the 33 degrees of banking that only Talladega Super Speedway has to offer. I can tell you what 33 degrees of banking feels like, but until you actually feel it yourself, you will not realize. And then it gives you even more appreciation for what these 36 to 40 drivers do at 200 miles an hour, inches off of one another's bumpers, inches off of one another's doors. It is pretty, pretty impressive. Lars, you need to get Lincoln and go. Uh, I know you just recently got a Yukon, but that's that's one of the beauties of No, this, not a Yukon. Right? I got a, I got a uh, no, uh, Tahoe. Tahoe, my bad. Yeah. I don't know why I get those confused. Maybe it's because they look identical. Um, <laughs> but you can take a Tahoe or a Yukon, right? Absolutely. We've got... You know, from minivans to Tahoes to Lamborghinis, Ferraris, I mean, you name it, they will show up out here. We actually had a Model A show up once, and we had to clear everybody else off the racetrack, and she kept it uh, down on the apron because she was, you know, obviously we didn't want it up on the high banks, but she made one lap, and then she said, I've done it, that's what I wanted to do, and she headed right back out the tunnel. So, yes, you will see all different types of cars, all different types of vehicles, um, you know, they'll be out here. We, do, we can't do motorcycles, unfortunately. We can't 
do RVs, um, but pickup trucks to minivans to sports cars to whatever. Bring it on out. $50 donation to a great, great organization that benefits, you know, uh, kids and, and um, you know, the, uh, others in need in our local communities here. Um, and take your laps around Talladega. And we also open up Talladega Garage Experience, our new $50 million renovation to our infield. That's open for fans to come and enjoy as well. Um, so it's a great day out of Talladega Super Speedway for a great cause. What's the fastest that uh, just uh, a guy or, 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 or a woman off the street has gotten uh, up? up, up it's, it's, what's the fastest they've gone in one of these kind of events? Sure. So for insurance purposes, we keep them at, uh, you know, we do pace the, the field. We'll take about 15 to 20 cars out at a time. We'll have one of our safety trucks in front and one of our safety trucks in back. And we keep them at what we call highway speed. So, you know, I mean, whatever you really do on I-20 as you're cruising by uh, Talladega here. Um, but, you know, our, our pace trucks go at about 80 or so miles an hour. Um, not to say that some people don't lay back a little bit as they're going down the Alabama Gang Super Stretch. I'm not... I'm not uh, you know approving this but you know just to get up and to hit maybe three digits maybe um, but again you know for insurance purposes we keep everybody at highway speeds I've done it I just told you all I did I, I remember the first time I did it with my son um, and Lars kind of knows this Brian you, I, I'm, I'm kind of a car I like to drive a, a nice car if I can afford it uh, and I, I, I had uh, had a BMW it was pretty BA um, I got up into turn one and turn two and my son was in the passenger side and uh, I look and you're literally looking over over your forearm while you're steering and your son's like three feet higher than you and I looked up at him and all he was just giggling and laughing like a little kid and so was I and then you come off of turn two and I'm not advising this but this is true. Brian can brag me. You really just let go of the wheel. The 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 track just takes you into that. Was it three thousand foot straightaway? Um, it's a remarkable experience. Brian, name some other cars that you've seen out there. Oh, geez. Let's see. We've seen. You know, I mentioned the Ferraris, the Lamborghinis. Um, We've seen, you know, like minivans, trucks, uh, Camaros, uh, old school, um, you know, Mustang convertibles. Uh, I mean, you name it, it's been out here. We actually have a couple of uh, street legal race cars um, that will show up, and uh, you know, they're they're decorated up like the old three car. Uh, they are street legal, uh, but you know, they come out here, uh, you know, almost every single time we see we see the different groups too. So, um, I mean, some you know Corvette, the uh, you know ZR ones. I mean, just you name it, they're out here, and uh, it, it almost turns into a mini car show because we let everybody park right inside the garage area, um, you know, the cup garage area, and, and everybody's kind of showing off their cars, and they go inside the Talladega Garage Experience. So it's uh, not only laps around the track, but a great event. We have concession stands that are open with our value price concessions, so $2 bottles of water, $2 Coke products. We don't sell uh, alcohol uh, during these lap events uh, from That's our concession stands. pretty smart on your part there, <laughs> yeah. Brian. That's right. But if you come back, if you come back over our September October weekend, sixteen ounce beers pounders are only four dollars inside of our Talladega Garage Experience. So that's my little uh, you know plug for um, our Cup Playoff and our Truck Playoff uh, races coming up in uh, late September, early October. Brian, I, I felt like I arrived as a true NASCAR reporter when I 
ultimately figured out what the heck a restrictor plate was. And uh, <laughs> for those who don't know, it's that uh, it's an aluminum plate with four holes drilled into it uh, that is placed between the carburetor and the intake manifold to reduce airflow and therefore uh, reduce horsepower and speed. And it's required for NASCAR uh, at Daytona and Talladega to keep the cars from going too fast. Now, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but w- what if the restrictor plates were taken out of the cars at Talladega? Um, one, would the top speeds be around 230 or, or faster? Uh, I, I don't know because the, the aerodynamics have improved so much over the years. I mean, you know, B- Bill Elliott set the track record, what, back in 87 uh, at 213. But... Um, and also, would that eliminate the, the sort of uh, pack-style uh, plate racing if you take out the plate at, at Dega? So, yeah, so they, they, they now call them tapered spacers of, of what they have no. in the, uh, the engines now. So as they kind of change, I'm not sure if it's, uh, you know, if it's still those aluminum plates and they just kind of rebranded ah. it for <laughs> marketing purposes because the, uh, the, the, you know, the restrictor plates had a, a negative connotation. Um, but, yes, they're still restricted engines. Uh, they call them the tapered spacers now. Um, and so it does keep them around that 200-mile-an-hour magic mark, um, which I think that they, you know, NASCAR likes for safety purposes you know obviously we've had uh you know unfortunately a couple get up into the fence when they were doing those higher speeds and so that's why that restrictor place was introduced here at talladega um yeah 225 230 ish is the range that i hear um you know rusty wallace did a um you know a a promo um event out here for one of our um old cellular partners uh and he was reaching about that 225 mark and uh he said that he you know he's like that's enough for me you know right (laughs) in that area so um you know, I and you also asked, would it break up the pack? I, I think it would break up the pack because I'm not sure a whole lot of racers would be out here racing at 225 <laughs> yeah. to 230 miles an hour. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, the, as Barney Hall, you know, famous MRN uh, announcer, you know, used to say, they don't race them anywhere in the world like they do at Talladega, and it's a you know, a special, special place with uh, two, three, four wide racing that those restrictor plates or those tapered spacers uh, help us create here, uh, as well as Daytona. Atlanta now as well because they run the tapered spacer there, um, which just uh, you know makes for that unbelievable you know sit on the edge of your seat or seat or standing up the whole time uh, racing here at Talladega. Has a has an Indy car? I'm sure that an Indy car has been on that track before, right? I don't think they've been here on this track. You know, I worked at Daytona International Speedway before I came up here to Sweet Home, Alabama, and uh, we did do a uh, test with Indy cars on Daytona International Speedway. Now, it was the Rolex 24 course, so they were going inside the infield. Um, but they were still coming around through the chicane on the backstretch, through turns three, four, and then through the trioval. They were approaching 220, and they just uh, felt that it was just a little bit too fast for you know for those cars, um, you know, on the Daytona International Speedway. So we're hearing these speeds even higher than what the Cup cars could do here if if you ever put an Indy car uh, out here on this one, just because of the downforce that they create and you know how fast they could go. And and you see with the speeds they're running at Indianapolis Motors speedway in that high 220s um so you know getting them here at this big huge track with these you know high banks yeah. they would be pushing even higher than that for sure so that's not a possibility right of indy car ever racing at talladega just because it'd be too dangerous 
there there is a beautiful beautiful facility just down the street from us you know about 25 miles right from yes, yes 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 yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah they just that sets up wonderful and it's just it, it's a great facility you know the way that i look at this is is motorsports in this area high tides raise all boats and so barber motorsports park is just an unbelievable beautiful facility uh the indy car there you know has found a home there i think that i heard that they've extended their agreement for another three years which is great for motorsports in this area so uh no i don't i don't ever see uh indycar racing here at talladega super speedway now it would be kind of cool to do a little promotional thing where maybe some cup cars run down there and some uh, indy cars run up here just yeah, to kind of see um you know so uh you know if uh, barber motorsports park is listening in let's do this um just real quickly, I did a little flashback when you we were talking about restrictor plates and when they first put them on after Bobby got up into the grandstands, I think it was 87, <clears throat> I asked Neil Bonnet, said, what do you think about the restrictor plates? And he said, oh, they're great. I got several of them at home. I use them as boat anchors. Neil Bonnet, <laughs> Neil Bonnet would have driven 400 miles an hour if you would have allowed it. Hey, tell us what's happening with the Yellowwood 500 and we'll let you go, Brian. Yeah, so, uh, you know, great, as I mentioned earlier, playoff weekend. Uh, so it's Saturday, September 30th, and then Sunday, October 1st. Uh, we have the uh, um, uh, Craftsman Truck Series uh, coming back to town uh, for their playoff event on Saturday. Uh, we'll also have uh, cup qualifying on Saturday. Uh, and then, of course, the Yellowwood 500 on Sunday. i uh, got a couple things going on, too. We're working on some fun Friday night activities. We've done rodeos in the past, and so we're working on, you know, what's that next uh, fun event to be on Friday night inside of our iconic infield. And then we have Hardy, uh, the uh, country music slash southern rock um, artist who's going to be performing on Saturday night inside of our infield. Uh, so it's going to be a great weekend. We've got like a lot of different um, ticket opportunities that are out there. Uh, lots of different camping opportunities that are here, too. It really, truly becomes a city here uh, for over a week uh, You know, at Talladega Super Speedway. So fans can go onto our website, talladegasuperspeedway.com, uh, for some more information on all the different options that we have. Make sure you check out Talladega Garage Experience when you're on the, uh, the website because it immerses the fan into the sport, puts you in the garage area under the same roof, and only uh, separated by a four-foot fence and about five feet from the actual race cars and drivers. Uh, we do Q&A sessions in there. Victory Lane is part of Talladega Garage Experience. The value price concessions, as I mentioned earlier. Got a kid's zone, a game zone. It's someplace you definitely want to check out. And if you prefer to talk to a representative, you can call 877-GO-2, and that's the number two, Go2Dega. 877-GO2Dega or talladegasuperspeedway.com. That will also get you information if you're interested in uh, racing your own personal car this uh, Saturday morning. The track laps and Talladega Garage Experience presented by Cool Ray Open House. That is Saturday. Brian, I know I'll see you soon. Have a great day, and thanks for passing along all that great information. Well, thank you guys very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, come on out, Lars. Come on out and bring the car. Hey, come on we'll out do and let's do some laps. Hey, thank you so much, Brian. appreciate right. it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right, you bet. Brian Crichton, president of Talladega Super Speedway. Um, it's he's about of the age now where you need to get uh, you need to get Lincoln up there. What I need oh, to yeah. do is go see all my buddies down the street here at Royal. There's like a twenty twenty blue Corvette sitting on the showroom. <laughs> to go over there and say, hey, you mind if I borrow this for the day? All right, <laughs> let's uh, let's take a break. Uh, really cool news from the U.S. Open. Um, atop the leaderboard, 
I'll pass along that information on the other side of the break if you're listening to Big Name Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. We'll maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon, mostly cloudy with a high at 83. For tonight, showers ending this evening, becoming fair, the low 68. Tomorrow, partly sunny, a few widely scattered storms around, the high 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 77 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back in to Big Noon Sports. Ricky Fowler making a move at the U.S. Open. He is now atop the leaderboard at uh, minus six. And uh, he is, uh, I think he's got a, it's a two-stroke lead. But the bigger story is that Ricky is playing really well. Um, He is uh, now, uh, and, and, and this is sort of what, I've ascertained from talking to several of my uh, buddies who um, who cover golf for a living and who travel with the circuit, and it's just uh, uh, a sort of a traveling circus, actually. And and the reporters who are there week in and week out, they really get to know the the players, the uh, agents, the uh, the parents, the best friends, the caddies. And so they really kind of have a sense of, of really what is going on. And Ricky Fowler um, has been, you know, for like the last, I don't know, year and a half or so, just uh, he, he struggled with his swing. But this week, uh, during all three practice rounds leading up to the day, he has been just like all smiles, like his his whole comportment, his whole way that he is carrying himself is different from what it's been. And uh, he's got a, a, a young daughter and uh, she has been uh, kind of following him around as well. Uh, always smiling and and Ricky is from Southern California and so he loves being back in, in Los Angeles and um, you know he is uh, uh, just recently he got back into the top 50 in the world and you know he told told reporters that that things are heading into uh, the right direction for him and uh he is uh he's missed the last two US opens um wow yeah i mean he uh he he came really close to getting a spot in last year's tournament but uh at a qualifier he lipped out a 6 foot birdie putt that would have put him in and so now ricky uh in in september 2022 he fell all the way to 185 in world rankings He's back up to 45, and uh, it's been a sort of a steady rise. 
And, you know, like all golfers, he just, he has gone through struggles and uh, he's playing with uh, Jason Day and uh, Day is also, he hasn't competed in the past two opens and he's playing with Justin Rose. Um, and, uh, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's great. I mean, uh, you know, you and I talked earlier, like he, Ricky Fowler is, is the person is the, is the golfer that I'm rooting for this week. It, it would be a great sort of redemptive, uh, return, uh, to, uh, dominance kind of story. Because again, as I mentioned earlier, it appeared about three years ago that the the two faces of American golf for the next 20 years were going to be Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler. And Ricky Fowler has just sort of fallen off the, the radar. And he's just struggled with his swing. And then when you struggle with your swing, you struggle with your confidence. And it is so hard in all of sports, but especially in golf, to get your confidence back once it's been shattered because golf is such a mental game. I think really like 90% of it takes place between the ears, Matt. I mean, of course you have to have certain physical attributes, but uh, so much of it, especially at the elite level is is mental. And uh, it is great, great, great to see Ricky playing so well in the first round. And the guy that's currently second on the leaderboard is Jacob Solomon. A California native, but he played his college golf at Auburn, where he's all SEC, all American. But he's minus four through fifteen, and he, I think, is just—I um, don't know—he's like twenty-two, something like that. Maybe he's a little bit older than that. But uh, that's good news as well. Xander Schauffele uh, through eight is at minus three, and a host of others. I don't even know if I can find if uh, see if. Justin has teed off. You do have to remember that they're two hours. Do you, do you say ahead or earlier? Earlier is the right way. Uh, right? Yeah, they're two hours. It's 10 o'clock here. It's 8 a.m. there. Yeah, they're, they're behind us. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how you word it, but I do know <laughs> I can tell the time when I cross the continent. So um, yeah. there you have that. Um, hey, but, wrap, yeah. wrapping things up, Lars. I'm going to go in a totally different direction here. If Let's say Wade Boggs, and I think I saw this story. I'm stealing from AL.com. It was Matthew McConaughey. If uh, one of those two was your guest, what Tuscaloosa restaurant would you take them to? Archibald's. Yep. Uh, Definitely. I'm probably more of a dreamland guy. But uh, if I really... Here's the place you would want to take... Um, well, both, both Boggs... And McConaughey is uh, City Cafe over there where we just drove by yesterday near Northport. Um, legendary for uh, their meat and three and fried green tomatoes and stuff like that. So uh, they, I also I, I really love um, De Palma's Italian Cafe uh, right there on, on 2300 University Boulevard. Uh, I think it's. Uh, it's got really nice ambiance, and it, it just reminds me of a New York Italian place. And uh, it, it, like, you know, if you want to go a, sort of a, a more, a, a more have a more leisurely dinner, where you know you want to have a nice sort of uh, conversation, good bottle of wine, 
uh, De Palma's is is that's my go-to place. You know, um, for the many years that you lived in New York, I've never asked you this question because I'm sure when you went down the five flights of stairs to the <laughs> streets there in Manhattan, there was probably one on every square block. But uh, what was your deli go-to? What sandwich? Oh, oh my, oh my. Uh, we we know about your bagels. <laughs> it was always just a, a turkey sandwich on uh, a turkey sandwich with um, lettuce, tomato, and mayo. You know, pretty simple. And uh, in the mornings, I'd get a, a coffee uh, on the street from a street vendor, a coffee and a bagel, and that would cost you like a dollar twenty-five at the time. And um, you could, uh, I always told my my friends when they'd come visit me, you know, I'd walk them around the city and uh, the best deal was always just a a pretzel, like a a soft pretzel uh, you could get for a dollar back then. And that was all, it was like a meal. And the key was you you put the, the pretzel on a on a napkin and in the middle of it you just have this like reservoir of mustard, of New York City mustard, and you dip the, the bagel as you or the, the uh the pretzel as you tear it apart into the, the reservoir of mustard and oh this is so good. Yum. Even the even even the hot good? Oh, they're so good. Yeah. Street oh. food in New York was just amazing. It and can't these be guys, the lucky dog in New Orleans, though. Of course, it has to be two thirty a.m. <laughs> How about a stadium dog? Do you like stadium dogs here? Um, are you talking about a specific one? Well, no. Is it, what uh, what what are they called in Brian Denny? Aren't they called the uh, stadium? You know. Oh God, I wish I could tell you because I'd mention their sponsors too. <laughs> I think it used to be Brian, but. Uh, you can look that up. But, I mean, I've, I've had a Dodger dog in my life. Um, have never Denny had a Denny dogs? Frank. Are they Denny? Uh, maybe Denny, Denny dogs? dogs? Yeah. That's is that what it is? I wonder who makes them. <laughs> um, well, uh, some days the show just goes on pace. Some days they just fly by. And um, I think it all started with having Hall of Famer Wade Boggs on. And uh, then we had Brian Crichton go race Saturday. Go to TallahasseeSuperSpeedway.com. Um, Lars. Go hit the links with Lincoln. All right, man. Have a great weekend, Matt. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe.